receiver. Oh, let's, oh come on. Let's let's make Listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What's going on? What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another edition of Review and Preview. My name is Kyle Russo. Alongside me tonight is James Montefusco and Hank and Dick. Before we get started, I'd like to apologize for the technical difficulties that we've had these past 20 minutes. We know we regularly start at 7 o'clock. We do apologize for those inconveniences, but we are happy to be live with you all tonight and excited because, guys, another week in the books of sports and another action-packed week with content to be filled and things to talk about. So looking forward to it. But guys, how you both doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself, Kyle? I'm doing well, Hank. Can't complain. James, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. You know, it was a clicking battle to get us live and the clicking worked. So the clicking worked. It finally worked. They gave in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, on, uh... they did. But guys, before we get started, obviously I'd like to plug in our podcast here, review and preview. First off, all of our live content in, in which we post, we have a lot of videos going up, obviously, in the midst of NFL free agency, obviously the draft coming up, Hank pushing out these MLB and, and NHL videos that getting them up almost daily, it seems like, what's been happening around in the world of sports. So make sure to give us a like and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And as always, give us a follow on our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, and make sure to listen to our podcast at anchor.fm slash review and preview. If you miss the live content or are on the go and just want to listen to us audio wise and not want to see our faces, but I don't know why you wouldn't though. 
But guys, let's jump right into it. So like I talked about in the intro, action-packed day today. And what better way to start off with than one of the best receivers in football being traded to another team? And no, I'm not talking about the Devontae Adams trade. That happened last week in this action-packed free agency. But Tyreek Hill, six-year player for the Kansas City Chiefs, 28 years old. I don't even know how I want to word it. Out of nowhere, out of left field. Gets Mm -hmm. traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins in one of the biggest packages that I think that I've seen in a long time, especially for a wide receiver. I think this might be the biggest package ever. I looked back into uh, the archives on that Stefan Diggs trade two years ago that sent him from the Minnesota Vikings to the Buffalo Bills. That only included four picks. This one includes five, and that uh, that package did not include a second rounder. It included a first and a couple later rounders. But a trade for Tyreek Hill commands a first, a second, a fourth in this year's draft, a future fourth, and a future six-round pick. The Miami Dolphins received Tyreek Hill, and in this trade, Tyreek Hill becomes the highest-paid receiver in NFL history after Devontae Adams just set that record just a week prior, now paying Tyreek Hill an annual average around $30 million per year, four-year contract, $120 million. And according to Adam Schefter, the breakdown of this contract is that $52 million will be guaranteed when he signs that contract, so within the coming days. And the other $70 million will be guaranteed come the beginning of 2023. So basically one year's time, that's all he has to do is stay in Miami for one year. And his contract is fully guaranteed money. Guys, what was your immediate thoughts after seeing that Tyreek Hill again out of left field gets traded from the Kansas City Chiefs? I thought it was personally a joke, like a meme, um, that like nothing really big was going on trade-wise. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, Hill got traded. Like, okay. And so I saw our group chat kind of explode a little bit when it was like, no, this is real and whatnot. Um, I mean, ultimately, they had to do it because look who look out of, like, the four players getting paid the most on the Kansas City side, um, Mahomes being one of them. Uh, they couldn't afford Hill. And the fact is Hill went to a team that's up and coming. So it's, it's really going to help the development of Tua, but also develop that whole team as a whole in Miami. Um, but when I saw that, I was like, nah, this can't be real. There's no way. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is real. This is it, – it was mind-blowing in my opinion. I think it – I mean, Miami gave up a lot, but he's an excellent number one wide receiver. Yeah. Hank, what were your thoughts, man? I was shocked too. And then the other thing I was thinking of was, wow, Kansas City, they just got weaker and weaker. And I don't know whether they're the worst team in the division at this point. I'm not 100% sure, but they are far worse off now than they were, say, 24 hours ago. That's for sure. And the Dolphins, hey, look. Let me talk about the Dolphins real quick. I think now this is really to his best chance to show if if he's for real. I think a lot of people have been downing the guy. I've I'm not one of them. I think now that he has the receivers, it's it's essentially put up or shut up time. Yep. Listen, I ag- I agree with that, Hank. You kind of alluded to the fact: are the Chiefs the worst division in the AFC West? We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to kind of deeply analyze what kind of went and took place today. So. Uh, almost a roller coaster because really this whole this whole thing kind of transpired in a matter of an hour from what it seems like is that Adam Schefter reported that 
uh, contract negotiations have stalled and that the Chiefs have given Tyreek Hill permission to seek a trade. Mm-hmm. Probably about 20 minutes later, Jets and Miami become the favorites. Another 20 minutes later, uh, Jets and Miami have both come to terms with the Kansas City Chiefs upon an agreed trade. But because I believe Tyreek Hill had a no trade clause, he has the option to choose which team um, he would be traded to. And then another couple minutes later, he chooses the Miami Dolphins. Um, and I wanted to kind of break this down a little bit with you guys, too, because I'm sorry, I, 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 as New Yorkers, I don't know if you guys have heard the backlash of Jets fans, the the, the roller coaster of emotion. But to me, it, it kind of ticked me off a little bit because it, it's utterly ridiculous. All Jets fans were hyped out of their mind at the fact that there was a possibility that they could get a star level caliber player up to Tyree Kill's magnitude. And the fact that, guys, he's only 28. So the Miami Dolphins signed into a four-year deal. That's the prime of a receiver's career from the age of 28 to 32. And the guy's not slowing down. He's been a six-time Pro Bowler in the six years that he's been in the NFL. He's one of the best receivers in the entire game. Just had a season which he had his most receptions ever in a season by 30 receptions to his previous season of 80-something. Just had another 1,200-yard season. Had a a 10-plus down touch season this year. So another terrific year in the books for Tyree Kill. And the minute the Jets fans lost out on him, they're like, okay, you know, we're good. We didn't get him. We're, we're looking we're looking for the long-term future anyway. So we didn't need to give up five five uh, draft picks. We'll, we'll build to the, towards the future and what we have in the draft. And the first thing that came to my mind is that you've been building for, for 12 years now. You haven't made the playoffs in, in 12 years. This, this was an opportunity to get your guy. Now, I'm not saying that the Jets had any fault in this. Obviously, two trades were agreed upon, and it was up to Tyreek Hill's decision to – you know, make the decision where he wanted to go. And to be quite fair, and this is no knock against the Jets, it's just that you're comparing, you know, apples and oranges here. Do you want to go to New York or do you want to go to, you know, sunny South Beach, Florida, not have any state income tax so that $120 million is all yours, you know, already has the Super Bowl ring. Mm -hmm. And bottom line fact is this here too, because this is what I've heard from a lot of Jets fans today as well is that it really didn't matter what team Tyreek Hill chose. They're both at the same standpoint. I'm sorry. They are so far miles apart from each other, it's not even close. Everybody wants to knock the Miami Dolphins. Yet just two two months ago when Brian Flores was fired, and not rightfully so, I may add, because he had very successful years in three years that he was there, mm-hmm. is that this was a team that just went 9-8 and eight this year. So how can you compare that to a team that only won three, four games this year in the Jets. A team that was borderline playoff team, added a Toronto Armstead, added two good running backs, added another offensive lineman in Connor Williams, and now just added a number one deep threat who's one of the best receivers in the game, fastest receivers in the game, to go along with a Jalen Waddell who proved to be one of the best up-and-coming rookie receivers in the game with a Mike Gusecki, with a Devontae Parker. How is that even comparable? The answer is it's not. I said it earlier today. Uh, I was on Down the Block Sports with Alec Walt. I said today's trade makes the Miami Dolphins at least an 11 or 12 win trade, which makes them competitive in that division, hands down. And everybody likes to knock Tua Togavailoa. And granted, he has not had two fantastic seasons in his first two years. But the same thing that I feel that's happening to Tua Togavailoa is the same thing that happened to Mitchell Trubisky. Is that you're a decent quarterback, but you're in the shadow of a for Mitchell Trubisky, in his case, you're in the shadow of Patrick Mahomes and a Deshaun Watson. In this case, you're in the shadow of a Joe Burrow and a Justin Herbert. That's the shadow of Tua Tagovailoa right now. I don't think he's bad, 
And I think offensively, Mike McDaniel can get the best out of him with this team that he's surrounded himself with. Now, is he going to be a perennial Hall of Fame quarterback? No. But I think you'd still win with him, especially with the team that they've been put in place. The defense is dominant. So I just wanted to kind of get your guys' take on that as well, is that obviously we're New Yorkers. We've heard all the banter all day. This happened earlier this afternoon. And I wanted to kind of get your take on whether or not, you know, Tyreek Hill chose the right place. Is there actually a difference where he landed, whether it be the Jets or the or the Miami Dolphins? Or what were your guys' overall thoughts? I would say there's a big difference because, first of all, Miami is like Miami. It's a party city, mm-hmm. South Beach, you know, totally different atmosphere. Whereas you're in New York, you're in one of the biggest markets of professional football. And you're going to be under constant scrutiny for your actions. What nobody, what we're forgetting is this is a guy who in the past has had some character issues. Now, granted, obviously he's had, he hasn't, we haven't really heard about that in like, say a couple of years, but how do you know stuff like that might not resurface if he comes to New York and not to mention you're playing in New York, you're going to be under a lot of pressure to perform. If Zach Wilson isn't the guy is, isn't even as close to throwing to him as like, say Patrick Mahomes, or if anyone's at fault, he's going to get turned on immediately. So I think that's another thing you have to factor into that trade. Well, the, to, to rebuttal on James, and I'll throw to you is mm-hmm. that Hank, I would agree with you, except for the fact that the jets had agreed to the uh, agreed to a trade with the Chiefs, So they knew that in the consideration. So that, that didn't play a factor at all. It just had up to do with his. Dodged a bullet. I mean, listen, we, 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 Unfortunately, you don't know, and that very well could be the case. Who knows? But at the same point in time, you look at this Jets roster, and Jets fans are saying they're better off without him. Mm-hmm. Look at their receiving core. They have an Elijah Moore who's coming off a horrific injury, who I think is a good player. Corey Davis, who has proven that he cannot be a number one. His best season was when he was the number two with the Tennessee Titans, and that last year he was with the Titans, alongside an A.J. Brown, who's injury-prone as well. And a Denzel Mims, who – was thought to be a sought-after second-round pick out of Baylor, and they don't even use him. You lost Jamison Crowder in free agency to the Buffalo Bills, and you added some nice pieces. But the defense is nowhere near as good as Miami's defense. The offensive line, I think, is kind of on the same line in terms of standard. The running backs are better for Miami. The quarterback play in terms of maybe tenure is maybe a little bit in the edge of uh, Atua Togavailoa. And granted, while we both have, uh, while both these teams have – rookie or young head coaches, uh, you know, Robert Sala, I think could be a very good coach, but, and both coming from the Kyle Shanahan tree might add as well, kind of familiar faces, but Mike McDaniel, the way he's building this offense is almost identical to the way a Kyle Shanahan would build an offense running back by committee, good tight end play, solid enough quarterback play where he could win you NFL games. You just got to make sure the ball is not in his hands when it comes down to actually winning the game in terms of somebody else's hands, dominant, uh, versatile wide receivers. You had a Debo Samuel and a Brandon Ayuk. Now you got a Jalen Waddle and a Tyreek Hill. And you have extremely dominant defenses in both Miami and the 49ers. It's almost a carbon copy of both teams. Tremendous left tackles, Trent Williams being the best, and now the, the Miami Dolphins have a Teron Armstead. Identical. So for Jets fans to be saying that they're better off without him, I just, I just so far from agree with that statement this this i'm not saying this would have made you a contender i'm not saying this would have made you a playoff contender but you know what this was the opportunity and it's not their fault but this was the opportunity to see hey is zach wilson truly the guy now they have to deal with all those draft picks that they have and granted they have a lot of them 
but now you're putting all your eggs into the basket of can Joe Douglas surround Zach Wilson with the right pieces. And we'll see what happens. But, James, your thoughts, because I know I kind of went on a little tear there. Sorry. Uh, my thoughts <laughs> for uh, it is, Hank, I agree with you. The Jets might have dodged the bullet, but I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to knock the Jet fans, but they've had nothing to look forward to in God knows how many years. So they figured, oh, I can get Tyreek Hill. They can fill up the stadium for two to three games, if not four, and then be like, oh, we suck again because Zach Wilson is hurt or the offensive line sucks or this or that. I I don't – to get the amount of draft capital that Miami gave up for the Jets that are somewhat still rebuilding is just mind-boggling would be a complete – wasted time it would probably set them back even further if they think zach wilson is their guy yeah i'd say go after hill and since hill didn't pick the jets the jets should just move on no fan should be annoyed that well my team didn't do enough it's like no in tight if you look at hill's contract he could pick on where he was going and he it was miami or the jets so miami made the more logical sense in my opinion too it's 85 and sunny 90% of the time down there. You don't have to deal with the media half the time. And if you screw up, the media is not coming after you most of the time. In New York, the media is coming after you. Fans are going to come after you. So he picked, he, he picked honestly probably the better option for him. For Jet fans, yeah, I feel bad because it's like, oh, we could have gotten like a true number one. Like when we felt when we had Odell, like, holy shit, Odell's like, amazing but at the same time we saw how the odell incident finished in new york so just coming from a giant's perspective uh you might have dodged a heavy bullet there not having hell in new york well i mean forget about odell look at the most recent example you signed kenny galladay and say that's a number one he finished off with zero touchdowns who would have thought right yeah but kenny galladay isn't bringing all the the, the media. Well, no, no, I'm not just talking about that because people, when they look at draft capital, they're not looking at all the negative side. They're looking oh, about, yeah, yeah. can this guy perform on the field? Well, and I think without a doubt, perform. Ty- Tyreek Hill is, is going to ball out, especially next to a Jalen Waddle who is tremendous. Well, but, that's true, yeah. Yeah, but I think that Miami's in a really good position. I still think the Bills are the favorites, but to be quite frank, I think this puts them in a better position than, than the New England Patriots are. Uh, I think the Pats have, again, while Bill Belichick is always sneaky, and I know I'm going to be eating my words, is that they lost a lot of pieces this offseason. They haven't made any moves. They haven't Mm -hmm. looked to address any weaknesses. And an entire free agency has gone by. Now, granted, a lot of fans would say, well, that's because they spent all their money last year. But, yeah, that doesn't mean you can't make adjustments to your team this year, especially the way you finished off the year in that historic playoff game in which you gave up seven touchdowns, which was the worst game in Bill Belichick's entire career Mm -hmm. in the playoffs, nonetheless. So moves could still be made, but the Miami Dolphins, I think they've solidified themselves as a second option. And they're you know a win-now team. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're a win-now team. Win-now within the next two years, though. Yeah. I mean, I think they got a bigger window than that just because everybody on that team is young, even Hill. You know, you just acquired a player of this magnitude. This is why it's so huge, is that he's in the prime of his career and he's only 28. Like, yeah. you, you don't get a, you don't get a top-five receiver when he's hitting the mark as a 28-year-old. That's why it's so rare and so special that the Miami Dolphins were able to do so in this fashion. Everybody else is young as well. So they're going to be here for a while. The biggest thing with this is why I love this trade so much for the Miami Dolphins is because of this is because 
you look at some you look at the AFC as a whole, right? There's probably mm-hmm. four teams that were kind of sitting back, not really doing anything, right? You look at the Houston Texans. I mean, beside the Sean Watson trade, they didn't do anything. You look at the Jets, they they made some small moves, but nothing so monumental and and transformational. Tennessee Titans were sitting back as well, really not doing anything as well, with the exception of re-signing Harold Landry. And you look at the Miami Dolphins as well. Is that again, they signed a Teron Armstead last night, but make sure to go check out the video that Tom and I published last night about Teron Armstead. While we both think it's a good signing, I, I speak on behalf of myself when I say this, is that Tua Togovalo being a left-handed quarterback, the only one in the NFL, a left tackle is great. But for him, a right tackle is more important because that's the yeah. one protecting his blind side, not the left. So those were the four teams that really haven't done anything. The Miami Dolphins just put themselves in the conversation now with everything and what they've done today and the last couple of days since free agency has started is they are the second-best team in that AFC East. And they didn't sit back any further, looking at the AFC get better, each team get better and better every single day, and they had done nothing. Now they're putting that name, their name, into the ring, especially being that they just finished off at a 9-8 and record. There should be no reason why they shouldn't win 10-11 games next year after what they have done, especially with an offensive-minded guy. But, guys, kind of the last part of this trade, we kind of analyzed the perspective from the Dolphins, a little bit of the perspective from the Jets. But the most important team in all of this is the team that got rid of Tyreek Hill and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. And so a move like this coming out of the blue, nobody expected it. And just a couple years back, this was the dynasty team on paper, right? They had just come off a Super Bowl against the 49ers, and they locked up their quarterback long-term. They locked up all these key pieces. They brought back a lot of their starters, really weren't missing anybody. You saw last offseason after losing the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and proved that offensive line, did everything in their power to solidify themselves as a solid contender for the next couple of years. And everything looked like it was going the right way. And then this news happens today. And in less than two hours, Tyreek Hill is traded from this team. And now where do the Chiefs stand? Because you look at the AFC as a whole. The AFC is stacked with good talent, good quarterback play. And I would say if there's 16 teams in the AFC, I would say 10 or 11 of them are playoff contenders. And maybe five of them are Super Bowl contenders, I would say, is a good estimate. Now you look at this Chiefs team, you look at the AFC West in the last week, to the Raiders, you got Chandler Jones, you got Devontae Adams. Huge, huge moves. Mm-hmm. You go to the Chargers, you got J.C. Jackson, one of the best corners in the league. You got Mike Williams, re-signed him, and then you bring in Khalil Mack to go alongside of Joey Bosa, which is going to be a nasty, nasty defense and going to be a quarterback nightmare. You go to the Broncos, they acquire Russell Wilson and are still in the works with some other key free agents to improve on that team. You look at the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Haven't really done anything, and now you lose your number one wide receiver. And not just lose him, but they've slowly started to lose other pieces as well. They've lost Jaron Reed on that defensive interior that made them so stacked in the front four. Lost out on Chevarius Ward. Lost out on a Tyron Matthew. Mm-hmm. Now you, you lose out on a Demarcus Robinson, one of your receivers, to the Raiders. Byron Pringle. You still have Hardman there, but now you lose Tyreek Hill too. And so it leads me to ask you this, guys, this question. Are the Chiefs the worst team in the AFC West? I want to get you guys' thoughts. I think if there's any team that's due for a letdown in that division, with that question, it's the Chiefs. And I was kind of thinking that before this trade happened. And now, uh, with all those losses they had, I mean – Sure. 
Patrick Mahomes can probably steal a win or two for the Chiefs, maybe more than that, because the man is still a talented quarterback. But if we ba- if I were to base this on paper, and keep in mind the words that I'm saying, base this on paper, yeah, I probably would say that the Kansas City Chiefs are one of the worst teams in the AFC West. Because let's let's not forget, Patrick Mahomes doesn't play defense. He lost a lot of his weapons, so enough said. And you know what? I think the Chiefs are one of those teams that just goes to show you, you can never, you can, there's such a thing as judging the next dynasty way too soon. We just, we never learn. Like, we saw it with the Seahawks. We saw it with the Packers after Rodgers won it. Every time we say, oh, dynasty in the making, it never works. So let that be a cautionary lesson for all you guys. Mm-hmm. James, your thoughts? Are the, are the Chiefs the worst team in the AFC West? My thoughts, and I said this a while back. You did. James is a magician when it comes to this. I said this a while back. I think during playoff season, the Chiefs are on their downfall. You and... said it against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. You said mm-hmm. they're going to hit the wall, and you yep. were right. I believe you got that. They hit the wall, and they slammed into the wall at this point. They threw it in reverse, and they slammed themselves right against it again. I am sorry to the Chiefs fans, but if you want a true – if you want a number one wide receiver, uh, why don't you go ask Jackson Mahomes? It seems like he knows how to dance when he scores touchdowns and everything else. So why don't you go ask him to play? Um, <laughs> but, oh, no, on a serious note, they're not going It's it's going to be very tough for them this season to be – as well as they have. The the West has just became stacked. Yes, a lot of people are going to say they're still the favorites with Mahomes, with Kelsey. Yeah, okay, that's all you got mostly. I'm sorry, you're losing pieces. Your defense wasn't as strong as it's been in the years past. We saw that la- we saw that this season. It's You lost a defensive guy. You're probably going to lose some more. Pat Mahomes, sorry, maybe you shouldn't have taken the – what is $140 million in contract or whatever? 500 million. Yeah. 500 yeah. Thank million. you. 500 million. Maybe you, you spread that wealth around. Oh, listen, I'll take a pay cut to keep Tyreek. I'll take a pay cut to keep so-and-so. Yada, yada, yada down the line. Mm-mm. This is what we see. This is why Brady's also so long in the league, let alone he takes the pay cuts for his players. Um, I don't want to compare Mahomes and Brady because – He's making X amount, and Brady, you know, sometimes the, I barely makes. Brady's not making anything. Dollars. I think yeah. that contract with the Bucks, he's making like twenty-five million. Which so is Tom Brady should be making like eighty-five million. Exactly. So, so we look at both of those standpoints and be like, he's taking a pay cut. He's pe- making less in order to keep some of these players around. We saw this when he was in New England. Kansas City is in deep trouble. Everybody's riding high. Yeah, at certain points, I was riding high on them. Sore Mahomes, different play, a more wilder play. It's nice to see. Yes, but now it's coming that the Chiefs fans are going to start regretting paying Mahomes so much money because this this is only the beginning. And I'm probably playing with some magic again. This is the only beginning. You're going to see this year the Chiefs are going to be they're going to be a 500 team. I don't know how far above 500, but it's, there's going to be a lot of games that they're going to be losing to where they should be winning when you have a number one wide receiver in hell. You, Mahomes, uh, fantasy talk, Mahomes and Hill were the number one, number two combo. If you draft Mahomes, you get you should go after Hill and get you a whole bunch of fantasy points. That's not the play this year. 
I know that's a completely different thing. You want to go after Kyle, like you were saying, and Adams, a car, you know, somewhere along those lines. But the Chiefs are going to be the – they're going to be – yeah, I guess there's four teams. They are going to be the worst team in the AFC West. At times it won't look like it, but this season they will be. And I just want to break down the 2022 matchups a little bit. Obviously not go over the games, but yeah. just run through the schedule. They in no order either. They play the Cardinals, which is a tough game. They play Denver twice, obviously. But they yeah. play the Chargers twice, the Raiders twice. All tough games. They play the Texans. That's that's a win. They play the Colts, but now the Colts got their quarterback. So They play the Jaguars. That's a win. They play the Tennessee Titans. That could be a win. They play the Rams. That's a tough game. They play the Seattle Seahawks. That should be a win. They play the 49ers, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Buccaneers. I, in those four games, they could go 0-4. They could go 4-0. They could win one of those games. They could win all those games. Those are all really, really tough matchups, mm-hmm. especially when you're looking at it when there's no number ones left on on the market right now, and you're looking at a receiving core of McCole Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not – it's not a very good look. And and listen, they got a lot of draft picks. That, that's the beauty part in this trade with Tyreek Hills. They got a lot of draft capital, especially in this year. They have three additional picks in this year's draft from that trade, one of which is the 29th overall selection, which is one pick in front of their pick because they hold the 30th as well. That's their own pick. And in a deep wide receiver class, you know, you could build your receiving core up a little bit, but I hate to break it to everybody. You're not finding another Tyreek Hill. No. You're not. And how do I know that? Because nobody's ever seen what Tyreek Hill is before in the NFL. Exactly. This is the first time. So you're not finding a replacement for Tyreek Hill. You're just not, unfortunately. But I would have to agree with you guys. I think the Chiefs are the worst team in the AFC West at this time. Um, you know, we kind of saw the slide a little bit last year. There was some worries about the Chiefs when they started losing all those games in the beginning of the season. And they mm-hmm. had that 8-0 run. But a lot of those games were easier games, not really any tough opponents. And then we saw how they kind of played in the playoffs again. Everybody forgets when they when they start minimizing the uh, magnitude of Tyree Kill. You know why they beat the Buffalo Bills in arguably the greatest playoff game ever? Because of Tyree Kill. Because he ran yep. for what, what what was a what was it like a fifteen or twenty yard pass? He turned it into an additional fifty yards after the catch, something like and that, and ran it yeah. in for a touchdown. So missing that threat is going to be so tremendous, and I truly do not believe that that is a replaceable threat. No. And I don't I don't know how they'll perform. When, when I look at the AFC West, and like you said, James, with the Chiefs, on paper, this whole AFC West is on paper. All star-studded, but all on paper, nothing proven. The only proven is the Chiefs right now. But losing Tyreek Hill, and then you compare him to these other teams, it's not going to put them in a good situation. And I think that they are, at best, I think they are the third best team in this division, and at worst, I think they're the fourth. I, I, I think they are. They just they don't have... Nothing is screaming to me right now saying that they're in a good position right now. And I don't think any Chiefs fan would disagree with that. But, guys, any final words on this segment here, this little Tyreek Hill breakdown and, you know, about this Chiefs as a whole and, and what we could potentially see in the future for them and if they will still remain this perennial contender in which we thought was the case just a couple years back. And even just even just two even just a day ago as, as one of the best teams in the AFC. Any final thoughts? You're going to see a lot of interceptions this year from really? Mahomes. He, Juju ain't Juju isn't as fast as Hill. Nobody's as fast as Hill. That's what but I'm saying. What, what was proven in Pittsburgh as well is that Juju cannot be the number one. So exactly. the Chiefs need to figure it out very quickly. 
So you're going to see a lot of interceptions. You're going to see Pat Mahomes struggling a decent amount, but we'll move on. Another thing, remember how at the beginning of the season when the Chiefs were struggling, he was forcing a lot of throws? Yeah. Yeah, I think to piggyback on, off on what James is saying, I can see a lot of that happening for the Chiefs. But big loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know that they really got a great return. But with that having been said, if the if you're the Dolphins, this could potentially be a W if all goes right. I'm not going to... I'm not going to like one on 100% guarantee it for the Dolphins, but it, they look, they're definitely a better team, but I can also see why there are people who say the Dolphins made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and to round out real quick as well, I think that, you know, and, and I've stood by this statement as well, is that draft picks are great and I love draft picks. But if you give me the option to have the proven talent, give me the proven talent all day long. And that's what the Miami Dolphins were able to accomplish today. And that's what the Chiefs did today as well. A couple comments here to get to. Tom Scavetta, I agree that on paper they're the worst team, but they won't finish last. Tom, who do you think will finish last then? I would say it's probably a coin toss between them and the Raiders, I would say. Yeah. Just because that secondary still needs a lot of work. But uh, they got a very talented skills uh, position uh, locker room right now with Brian Edwards and Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams and Marcus Robinson and Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller and – Derek Carr and a lot of great weapons. So defensively, I, I think that's what Tom's talking about, I would assume. But another couple comments. Vincent Milani, what's up, dudes? Let's go, Rangers. Isn't isn't Vinny from uh he's from Jacksonville, right? Wonder how that happened. He's a he's a Ranger fan. Well, Ranger fans are all over the place, Hank. Ranger fans are all over the place. We know this. They're like you're, Cowboy you're right. fans. Yeah, they are. I I was one of many that invaded Prudential Center last night, and we all know how that ended up. <laughs> we'll talk, <laughs> Hank. You'll talk about that a little later, watching it yeah. firsthand unfold. Yeah, correct. So correct upon that uh, assumption about the Raiders potentially being the worst team in the division. But guys, moving on, some more controversy in the NFL. Because what would an offseason be without controversy? It would be nothing. Hank, you posted a video about a, hmm, I want to say about five days ago, something like that. Deshaun Watson had been traded to the Cleveland Browns, and in this trade, uh, well, before this trade even actually became official, a day or two prior, Baker Mayfield released a message. If you want to see the full Baker Mayfield segment, I, I published a video last night about Baker Mayfield. If you want to go check it out on Review and Preview Sports, at Review and Preview Sports, on our YouTube channel, make sure to go give it a like and watch it as well and leave your comments below. But this trade happened, and before it even went through, Baker Mayfield sent a message to the message uh, to the city of Cleveland, basically alluding to the fact that he wasn't going to be coming back no matter what. And it even came to further light that he had requested a trade from the Cleveland Browns. And this was before the trade even went down. Now we see the trade go down. Baker Mayfield has a cap hit of $18.8 million. He's obviously not going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns anymore. But guys, the market for a quarterback that was just picked number one overall just four years ago and is a decent player has no market. Has no market. It was initially reported that the Cleveland Browns had won a first-round pick. And to be quite honest with you, I thought that was a little much from the beginning just because he's a guy that has led you a couple places. But I think that with a lot of talent on the team, whether it's been one of the best offensive uh, lines in football pass-blocking-wise, whether it's undoubtedly having the best two sets of running backs and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt be the tandem to help you out and support the offense, whether it be – you know, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Donovan's People Jones, 
Austin Hooper and David Njoku and still not being able to make the playoffs. Granted, the defense was not very good. Bottom line is that he underachieved with that team. I think a lot of people would agree. And now you look at the market for Baker Mayfield. It was originally reported that Indianapolis had wanted him or that he wanted to go there, and they Mm -hmm. filled that void with Matt Ryan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then you go to Carolina, which was another team, and they kind of backed out, and smartly so because they already got a $18.8 million, 50-year option quarterback, unproven, not really know what you're getting, and Sam Darnold on their roster. It'd be weird for them to acquire Baker Mayfield, especially after being in on the Sean Watson and then kind of minimizing your growth, jumping down to a Baker Mayfield. And then one of the remaining teams were the Seattle Seahawks. And they're very, very confident in what they have in Drew Locke, even though I don't believe it's true. And I and I still think they'll <laughs> draft a quarterback more likely than not in this draft, whether it be with that ninth overall selection they got from Denver or mm-hmm. somewhere else. I think they will be taking quarterback in this year's draft. But with that being said, guys, the future of Baker Mayfield. Number one, have we ever seen a downfall of a number one overall draft take at the quarterback position fall this far? The only one that I could really think of is a Jamarcus Russell. I mean, Baker Mayfield, nobody wants to trade for him, let alone be a starter for him. But where will Baker Mayfield land, or or what do you think happens with Baker Mayfield, guys? That could be be both a good thing and a bad thing for the Cleveland Browns, if you really think about it. Now, why would I be suggesting that's a good thing? If you remember what I said in my Deshaun Watson video, I said that even though it looks like the Cleveland Browns won that trade, and – Don't get me wrong. I do think they won that trade. They got the better starting quarterback. Let's face it. We know he's going to start off the season with a suspension. Like it's, it's inevitable. Who? If that happens. Oh, Watson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know why I'm not going to get it. No, no, we don't need to get into it. I just want to make sure it's still Watson. Yes. We're talking about Watson. And if Watson has to serve a suspension, then. It's not a bad idea. It's not the worst thing in the world if you have to keep Baker around for one more year just to be the stopgap, depending on how long that suspension is. But with that being said, is Baker the better quarterback overall? Absolutely not. And, you know, I think we saw that if the Cleveland Browns had a better quarterback with the talent that they have, I think that's a playoff team right there. I mean, there's a reason that I and a lot of people had that team winning the AFC North division, but you know, that they just crashed and burn. I don't know what more I can say. So that's my, that's my personal take on it. I think. And, and in, a, in that sense, I do feel bad for Baker because it it's, it's amazing how much hype that guy had. He looked like he was going to be the guy that would finally solve a lot of their quarterback problems. Remember that Jersey on that Cleveland store that had all the names, like people thought he was going to mm-hmm. break that curse. Mm-hmm. Now he's just another one of those failed Cleveland quarterbacks, but I will say this: at least he lasted longer than most of them. So there's. Yeah, I was going to say he's probably uh, uh, upon that list. He's definitely the, the longest tenured one there. I don't know how many Cleveland quarterbacks <laughs> lasted, sad, lasted four years mm-hmm. as a starter. Outside of you know when you start getting into like the mid '90s when you start talking about Otto Graham and other yeah, the guys. last Cleveland quarterback I can think of that lasted four seasons might have been Tim Couch. Yeah, might mm-hmm. have been Tim Couch, late '90s, early 2000s. Maybe Josh McCown. I can't even can't even tell you. That's how far along we're talking around right now. But James, your thoughts on Baker Mayfield, where he potentially may land, or if there even is a market right now for Baker Mayfield at all? I there is a market, but I might be. 
probably going to get a lot of heat from this. Might be a backup role. You're not going to get heat for that. That's, I think that's kind of what we're all thinking right Only now. Only because of, I'm sorry, you had Odell, you had Landry, you had a, almost a, do-headed, a dual-headed monster in your running back, um, and you couldn't make the playoffs. Once Odell got traded, I had a feeling that the days with Baker's numbered in Cleveland because you couldn't get it done with Landry, so they bring in Odell. Two guys played in college, great, fine chemistry. Well, there kind of was, there wasn't. And then oh, uh, Baker kind of just fell flat. If It's smart for them to keep Baker another year only because of, like Hank alluded to and said about Watson. Do I see that happening? No, because it's Cleveland. Do I think he should be a backup role or a, you know, not might stir the pot right here? Uh, might the Giants might want to look into him for Daniel Jones' backup, where if Daniel Jones oh, isn't no, 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 isn't no. doing well, you throw him in there. I I know it's going to be no's, but no. it's it's got, he needs to go into some some sort of organization set up like that, where it's either a break or make season for their starting quarterback where he's a veteran quarterback where he can step up instead of having these no-name guys as the number one backup. Do I, do I see him starting again? There is a chance. I think Seattle would make the most sense, Kyle. Um, but I don't... If he can't get a starting job this year, he doesn't have a starting job ever again. I would I I would actually agree with a lot of what you said, James. And and in that video that I posted last night about Baker Mayfield, you know, I I came to the conclusion with even Seattle, which is why I think there's there's no market right now for Baker Mayfield. I don't. No. First off, let me say this: nobody's trading for him. Mm-mm. Nobody's going to trade for him. I think he's going to be on the Browns till August, and unless somebody yep. massive gets hurt as at the quarterback position on somebody's team, that's the only possible potential outlook in which a team will trade for him. If let's say somebody goes down for the for the rest of the season with a torn ACL or something like that, that's the only mm-hmm. way that he'll get traded, or somebody will inquire about a trade for a Baker Mayfield. That's it. Yeah. But with the Seattle Seahawks, is that not only are they confident in a Drew Lock? Let's be honest, guys. I'm not saying that Baker Mayfield is not better than Drew Lock, but in a division that features the defending Super Bowl champs in the LA Rams and the mm-hmm. 49ers who were just in the NFC Championship game and. The Arizona Cardinals, while they've lost a lot of pieces this offseason, they still have a lot of good weapons around, good young coach, and made the playoffs and have high outlooks, uh, um, high uplooks, you know, trending upwards. First off, in the, in the division, they're easily the worst team in the division. Yes. How many more games is Baker Mayfield winning for you than Drew Locke would be? And the answer is not so much. And if you're Baker Mayfield, yes, you may have the opportunity to start and compete in training, ba- uh, training camp, but... If you do, you enter the season, are the Seattle Seahawks really going to make you look better as a quarterback, or are they probably going to make you look worse because they have no offensive line, no run game. They have two good wide receivers, but who even knows if they'll be there the way that Seattle's trending. You have a coach that I think will be here for this season and then probably retire because he'll be 70 years old, and a defense that's awful. So how much better, if you couldn't succeed with the Cleveland Browns the way they were built, like James and Hank you alluded to, you think you're going to be better with the Seattle Seahawks? No. No. Not at all. Not at all. 
my biggest thing is this, and, and my takeaway, my final conclusion was this, because I read a report last night that the Steelers would be first online, potentially, from what I read, mm. if Baker Mayfield was released. And that makes a lot of sense, because yeah. the Steelers are similar in a sense to what the Cleveland Browns were. They have even though they, their offensive line is a little shaky, they added a piece in James Daniels, who I think is really good, and they'll address the offensive line in this year's draft. They have really, even though they don't have a tandem of running backs, Najee Harris is really, really good. They have a solid set of receivers and a really good tight end in Pat Farmuth. And the defense, while they've lost some pieces, they always stay strong and are always dominant defensively. And with Mike Tomlin, I don't care who's behind center. We've seen them in 2019 win games with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. He's never been below 500 as a record. I could see a Baker Mayfield competing in a training camp with a Mitchell Trubisky. I could see it, even though I think Mitchell Trubisky would win that job. I think that would be his best chance potentially to win a starting job. Other than that, Baker Mayfield's not going to be a starter next year, unless somebody monumental gets hurt and then gets traded for it. But I think the likelihood is that Baker Mayfield will get released. And I know you guys said that it's smart to keep Baker Mayfield around because he will potentially be the guy to take over if Deshaun Watson gets suspended. But Baker Mayfield, before Deshaun Watson was even fully acquired by the Browns, made a public statement requesting a trade. He's not going to play for the Browns again no matter what. Yeah. No. Even if they don't even if they don't trade him, even if Deshaun Watson is suspended, he's never going he's not going to play for the Browns again. That's my mm-hmm. personal take. And so Guys, any final words here on Baker Mayfield before we move on for the night? No, uh, he might. Maybe he'll open a bakery. Very funny. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that 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 didn't go over as well as he thought. Kyle, uh, move on from that <laughs> awful moment that I had. So next on the slate tonight that I want to kind of get into. Obviously, we're in the midst of free agency and, and obviously NFL draft coming up. This is why I like talking. Uh, this is my favorite time of year. This is my this is my holiday season, March and April. We got a lot of stuff going on. But NFL free agency continues to happen, and some, I don't want to say bigger names, but some of the bigger names left on the market continue to be either signed or traded for. And just a couple guys that I wanted to go over with, kind of the uh, cream of the crop from what's left on the boards that have been signed and been acquired by teams. To start off with Teron Armstead, uh, I did a video on him last night as well with Tom, a great video, did very well. We talked about that acquisition from the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins had one of the, as Giants fans, we like to complain about our offensive line. That Miami offensive line was one of the most putrid offensive lines in all of football. And they add a, according to PFF, they add the third or fourth best left tackle in the NFL, pass blocking top 10 left tackle. And only behind a David Bakhtiari and only behind a Trent Williams, which as we know are the premier left tackles in all of football. Mm-hmm. Ron Armstead, while he's a great player and a nice acquisition on an affordable contract, I think, again, with the Miami Dolphins scenario with Tua Togovailoa being a left-handed quarterback, doesn't do as much as the right tackle would have done for you, but still a good signing, and there's still five linemen on an offensive line, and they're improving slowly. And he was the best offensive lineman in this year's free agency class, hands down. And he might even been the number one free agent on some boards across free agency as a whole, just as a player and the talent that he brings. The only knock with this that I have is that throughout his career, he's been in the league now eight, nine years. He has never played, I believe, more than 14 games in a season, which is concerning. He's always been injury prone. He's been a three-time Pro Bowler. He's a great left tackle. But even in his most latest of seasons, he's missed around nine games last year, guys. 
Too much. So he is injury prone. He is injury prone, but only around $15 million a year, so not too bad. No. And you get one of the best left tackles in football. So just going over that Teron Armstead trade, obviously Miami's made a lot of other moves as recently as today, as we just talked about earlier. But I think this puts them in a way better position than they were just 24, 48 hours ago. Agreed. Definitely helps that line. But it, the, the other concerning part is the amount of games he misses. Of course. Yes. I mean, listen, as we all know across all sports, especially in football and a contact sport, your best ability is what? Availability. 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 And that's been a question mark throughout Teron Armstead's career. If he's healthy, you know what you're getting? You're getting a star. If he's not, so it's a lot of money on the bench. But we'll see what happens. Now, Hank, our next guy up, you actually did a video on him, but I just want to kind of briefly talk about it because, you know, I had my say. James, I know you probably have your say as well. Matt Ryan, the Atlanta icon, I guess you'd call him, gets traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Indianapolis Colts for just a third-round pick in this year's draft. Pretty strange, to be quite honest with you, even though his cap hit is tremendous. To only get one third-round pick, to only get one pick out of it was a little surprising at first. Uh, As you shake your head, Hank, I think you're in agreement with what I'm saying as a a (laughs) head-scratcher. But Matt Ryan now has an opportunity to revitalize his career and rejuvenate his career. He's kind of just uh, wasting away in Atlanta these last couple years. No real town around him. I know a lot of people were knocking him last year and the lack of success in which they had. To be very fair, the defense has been putrid since the Super Bowl. To be fair, it was Arthur Smith's first year as a head coach. Mm-hmm. It was Matt Ryan's first year in a long time, in around a decade, without Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley went out in the middle of the season, which was his number one. And his main target was a rookie tight end that was drafted in this year's draft. He didn't have much to work with. He didn't have much to work with. And I think that's why he didn't have as good of a season. But now you put him in Indianapolis, and you put him behind probably one of the best, if not the best offensive lines in all of football in terms of pass blocking and run blocking. You give him a probably number one or number two best defense in football in terms of pass coverage and run coverage. You put him in a division in the AFC South, which features the Houston Texans, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Tennessee Titans, which is very, very easy to compete with and very, very easy to win with. In fact, Carson Wentz, as the quarterback last year, kept it very <laughs> close and competitive with the Tennessee Titans, just to speak measures and volumes upon what Matt Ryan could potentially do. Mm-hmm. And you put him in an offense now with guys like Jonathan Taylor, who may be the best running back in all of football, Michael Pittman, who is one of the best up-and-coming wide receivers in all of football, and Mo Cox, who is one of my most underrated tight ends in all of football as well, who has tremendous athletic ability as he's once a NCAA college basketball player, stands very tall, very athletic, and I think he's a good tight end. And they will be doing a lot in this draft as well, as obviously they got their star quarterback and didn't have to give up any draft capital at all. So, guys, what does this trade now mean? We'll analyze it from Indianapolis' standpoint first, and then we'll kind of go to Atlanta. But what does this mean for Atlanta? We saw the Carson Wentz experiment. The Indianapolis Colts have had six or seven quarterbacks start for them in the last six, seven seasons. Mm -hmm. So it's been a turnstile for sure. But now Matt Ryan, obviously much older Matt Ryan, Kind of a statue in the pocket, not a mobile Matt Ryan. But I feel way more confident about a Matt Ryan than I did any of these other quarterbacks that the Colts have had the last four, five, six years, with the exception of Andrew Luck behind center. What are your guys' thoughts? 
Matt Ryan is going to reinvent himself in Indy and kind of revitalize his career. Because in Atlanta, Kyle, you, you pointed out who was injured, who was out. Kind of the defense wasn't helping him. Indy has all of those key pieces. And I think Indy sort last year that they thought Wentz was the guy. Wentz was not the guy for them, as we clearly saw towards the end of last season. Matt Ryan is that guy for them, where they have their numbers. They have a good running back. They have a decent wide receiver crew. They have a good defense, where Matt Ryan can ultimately play his game and have, win, or, win games for that organization and show the league on the Matt Ryan that brought the Atlanta Falcons to the Super Bowl and not the Matt Ryan we've been seeing the last, what, three, four years? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how it's going to work. For Atlanta, uh, you only got one draft pick out of it. Okay. Not too sure what you're going to do with that. Um so congratulations, you played yourself. Uh, where's uh, where's our where's our buddy in the comment section? He would he would know more. Yeah, and to kind of dig into the uh, the wounds of uh, Noah Diabler losing yeah. two iconic Atlanta legends in the last week, and Freddie Freeman exactly. first, and now Matt Ryan. Yeah, that third round pick that they gave up was the eighty second pick in the draft. So, Noah, you're very familiar with those three numbers. Eighty second, <laughs> flip those numbers, twenty eight, and a third round pick to number three in which they gave up to the Atlanta Falcons, just kind of throwing salt in the wounds right there. But, Hank, what does this mean for Indianapolis? Did they get their guy? Obviously not the long-term answer. No. Indianapolis team, can they make a push in the next year or two? No, it's another Phillip Rivers signing. Really? It it has the feel of a Phillip Rivers Mm. in the sense that you're getting a guy at the end of his career and not to mention he's in his mid to late 30s, so – as as much as he may be an upgrade over Carson Wentz, you don't necessarily know that you're still going to get prime seasons from Matt Ryan. That's not that's not necessarily a guarantee. You know what I'm saying? But oh, absolutely. With that being said, you know what else I don't think you guys mentioned? Look at that forty mil. Look at that forty million dollar dead cap hit with with the Atlanta Falcons. That's the most in NFL history. And not so fun fact for Noah Dibler. And I'm sorry that we're kicking him while he's down if he's watching it. And you want to know another fun fact, guys? Did you know that this is now the fifth quarterback that will have started a game for Frank Reich? I mentioned it in my video. I, it's it's crazy to think that the Colts have gone through so many QBs in such a short amount of time. But here we are, quarterback number five, Luck, Brissett, Wentz, now Ryan. Who am I leaving out? Rivers. Rivers. Yeah, Rivers. Luck, Brents, Rivers. You, you know what I'm saying. It's Oh, absolutely. It's it's been it's kind of weird that Indianapolis has had to go through that kind of carousel. I guess it's the curse of Andrew Luck or something, but they're going to be a, a better team. Do I think the Colts will win the AFC South? Maybe. I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. I still think the Titans are pretty decent, but you know, at the end of the day, makes them a better team and as far as the Falcons go, wow, you you really I don't you I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say anymore. That was that was bad. And to really quickly round out from the Indianapolis perspective, and then we'll get into the Atlanta perspective as well, because they picked up their quarterback in free agency. We'll get that in a minute. But with Indianapolis as well, Hank, you kind of talked about it, and I'll and I'll stand by my word when I say this. Unfortunately, Andrew Luck 
could not perform another year due to all those hits from the putrid offensive lines that he had the first six, seven years of his NFL career. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this, if he would have stayed around for, for the for the good times right now, that team would have won a Super Bowl, hands down. And the problem Definitely. with Indianapolis is, is what we see with a lot of teams is that, unfortunately, when you are a middle-of-the-pack top 20 team in the NFL, or or top, not top 20, but picking in the top 20s repetitively year after year after year, you're never going to be picking enough. You're never going to be picking high enough to get your quarterback, and that's yeah. why it's been this turnstile, and that's why they've had to resort to free agency and resort to trades as much as they've had to, because they haven't been able to bring in their guy in the draft. But moving on, the Atlanta Falcons—they acquired their quarterback, guys. They acquired their guy, Marcus, Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota. Yeah, they played themselves. Am I right, James? I think so. You got Marcus Mariota immediately after Matt Ryan. What a slap in the face. It's a great way to replace your be- the best quarterback you ever had in franchise history. Forget about that, but just two days prior, three days prior, they were in on the Sean Watson and rumored to be the favorite. And then you go with a Marcus Mariota who hasn't started uh, in the NFL in the last two, three years. I mean, neither has Deshaun Watson. He hasn't started in what? I, yeah, I understand, but Deshaun oh. Watson, when he left the game, he was a top three quarterback. Well, Marcus yes. Mariota left the game. He was being replaced by Ryan Tannehill, which we see is obviously failing in Tennessee right now. Yeah, so, well. But Marcus Mariota signs with the Atlanta Falcons, I believe, on a two-year $18 million deal. So, again, kind of an experiment, a bridge quarterback per se. They're picking sixth overall in this year's draft, so I expect them to be taking a quarterback in this year's draft, maybe a Malik Willis, maybe a Kenny Pickett. We'll see what goes down. But this obviously, guys, is not their long-term answer. And in a NFC, in an NFC South that features uh, Jameis Winston, who has who been pretty decent with the Saints, obviously a Tom Brady, who I think all of us here expect to win the division with ease, not even, not even a competition. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to win the division. Now Marcus Mariota is what seemingly to believe the starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And, guys, they have nobody. They lost Russell Gage, which was their number one wide receiver last year, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers division rival. They brought back Cordell Patterson, who is their running back slash wide receiver slash safety slash kick returner slash punt returner. The guy does everything. Their defense is still very, very bad. Their offensive line is decent, but when you have no run game, it doesn't matter. And when you have no quarterback, it doesn't matter. And it looks like it's just going to be Kyle Pitts out there next year in terms of offensive skill position players. Obviously have a Decent amount of picks in this year's draft and can invest in the wide receiving core as it is very deep. But, guys, going from a Deshaun Watson losing out, potential on keeping a Matt Ryan, which isn't a bad option, to now going all the way to a Marcus Mariota, what were your thoughts on this acquisition per se? What's going on with Atlanta in general? Not only the Falcons, but uh, that whole state right now. Who's dropping all? Who, who's getting traded from a different uh, from MLB? It 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 just they got nobody. To be honest with you, they I I think this is their way of saying we'll tank this year and try for the draft. Yeah, next year's quarterback class is tremendous. So if they don't take a quarterback this year, which which could very well happen, uh, I would expect them to pick. Uh, I don't think there's any question that they will be picking amongst the top of the draft next year. I think they will hold a top seven selection. I would even the, say top five. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to go that far. There's some pretty bad teams in the NFL, but but there I wouldn't is. be surprised right. if they fall in the top five. Yeah, but 
Hank, your thoughts on Marcus Mariota being the new quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Again, do I got to say it? Major, major downgrade. Big difference between getting a quarterback who hasn't played in a while, who is elite. Well, actually, I don't want to say elite, but it no. was among the top passers in the league to one who kind of bounced around, never quite established himself, and was one of your classic, typical Heisman Trophy winning jinxes, what I, I guess you could say the word is. Again, I, I said it was a sad day in Atlanta Falcons history when I made that video. I wouldn't say it's the saddest because I think I think everybody knows what that one is, 28-3. But, yeah. That is a sad one for Falcons history, no doubt about it. Yes. That is definitely a uh... – and you know, I got to. I want to bring up another point that Noah made. I feel like Falcons fans never truly appreciated Matt Ryan while they had him either. And now that he's gone, they're going to realize this guy was pretty damn good. He's not a Hall of Famer in my eyes, but Hall of Very Good for sure. Pretty decent career. Hall of Very Good. I like that. Now, listen, he's a very he's, he's a very good player, and I think that, like Hank, you alluded to, he is in the top ten all time in passing. Correct? I think he's actually like top six even. So he oh yeah, he even won an MVP too. Yeah, he did win an MVP in that Super Bowl. That's the reason the Falcons couldn't have didn't win a Super Bowl. I blame poor coaching decisions and poor personnel moves, if anything else. And defense, defense, yeah. correct. Defense gives up twenty. Again, that's points. what not I said. Not Matt Ryan. Again, poor teams around him, poor personnel moves. That bad defense is part of what I just said. Absolutely. Absolutely. But guys, moving on to the last free agent of worthy note that has been signed in these last couple of days, Leonard Fournette. The Tom Brady effect continues. Anybody that was on Tampa that everybody thought was going to be leaving as a star-studded free agent is now signing back with the team because Tom Brady is back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what did we see at first? Brian Jensen resigns. Chris Godwin resigns. Um, now we see Leonard Fournette resign. Mm-hmm. There's another Tampa Bay Buccaneer that's escaped my mind right now that resigned. Carlton Davis resigned the star corner. Everybody is back to run it back with Tom Brady and to continue to win more Super Bowls. Leonard Fournette sends a three-year, $21 million deal. Not too bad, $7 million a year for Leonard Fournette. Really solid production, obviously. Mm-hmm. As we know, he's not only a threat in the run game, kind of rejuvenated his career after a porous end to his Jacksonville Jaguars career, but now rejuvenating with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in these last two years, not only a threat in the run, but a tremendous threat in the pass as well. He's kind of become the uh, James White, per se, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The James White of the New England Patriots was Tom Brady's best friend. It seemed like him and Deion Lewis out of the backfield, passing in short passes, and they would run it for touchdowns. That's what Leonard Fournette has become as well, and he's become very, very good at it. Now he returns to this Buccaneers team that will look to continuously compete for more Super Bowls because, as we agreed, they will win the division with ease. Even though James gave a little snarl and disagreement, he knows that will truly be the case. Yeah, it will be. So, guys, Leonard Fournette, uh, playoff Lenny, back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thoughts? Good job, Tom Brady. Taking less <laughs> money, keeping your friends around. You're still a Super Bowl contender, and you still have a quarterback who's got it and may, may very well last until he's in his 50s, for all we know. You got James right. very excited a month ago. Great. <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, Tampa Bay 
you know, congrats for signing all the guys back, which makes sense. Um, they will win that division with ease. Um, I hate to go back to this. Pat Mahomes, you see what uh, it, it takes to take a play out of, out of uh, Tom Brady's book. Takes a pay cut. And look, his friends all come back and want to play with him again. Well, it's too late now. That was a 10-year contract he signed. No, I so know. But this, this makes sense for – this will help. This has also made Brady's career on what it is. These that's, why they will never, that's why there will never be a, a, a dynasty again in the NFL the way the Patriots did it. Because year after year, there were years where Tom Brady was winning the Super Bowl. He was getting paid $17 million a year. But not even that, but having running backs like Fournette reinventing himself, like James White up in uh, New England, Brady, that's that's his cushion. Yeah. Brady can heavy, heavily rely on those guys. A Leonard Fournette, that plays phenomenal. So, I, I mean, it, it's a great pickup for the box. Everybody, It's a smart pickup for them, and it only made sense for Fournette because he doesn't have to then go to a shitty team. Yeah. He probably, I, I would say, he probably took less money to come back to the Buccaneers. But when you have an opportunity to win Super Bowls and play with Tom Brady, I oh, think yeah. you do that. You do. I that. think you do that. So, and speaking of Cushion and, and buddies, with all these moves being taking place by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers returning to the Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think the last piece that is yet to fall that I think we could all agree upon that will fall is a return of the man, the myth, the legend, Rob Gronkowski. Has not yet become official, but I think we could agree that that will be the remaining falling piece that will return back to the star-studded Buccaneers team that will feature the likes of a Chris Godwin, a Mike Evans, a Russell Gage, Leonard Fournette, Cameron Bray, and a Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. But guys, any any final notes on Leonard Fournette? Any final thoughts on maybe a couple free agents, a couple trades that maybe we didn't highlight as much as you would have liked to uh, before we move on? I do see a few things swirling. This could just be completely fake. Odell. Um, oh, that's real. That's that real. Is. Yeah, you want to okay. bring it up? See, I, I, I only threw it out there because, you know, anything that surrounds Odell, I'm like, is this actually true? Um, I saw that either the Rams are like, you let us know when you're ready or he wants to go back to Cleveland. I don't know. Yeah, there's rumors that he would be, not just him, him and Jarvis Landry would be open to returns to um, – Cleveland Browns, which wouldn't be shocking because obviously, again, a lot of stuff with Deshaun Watson, obviously, but if you can solidify yourself and say that he's going to be on the field for a 17-game season now, I think that's a tremendous upgrade over the play that they were getting with Baker Mayfield, hands down. Yeah, And being that the LA Rams have spoken and said that they want to retain an Odo Beckham Jr., we obviously saw in a sense that they kind of moved on a little bit, trading mm-hmm. a Robert Woods and bringing in Allen Robinson yeah. to essentially be that number two option which Odo Beckham Jr. was just last season uh, when they acquired him after being released from the Cleveland Browns. But we'll see what happens. A lot of, lot of pieces yet to fall in this NFL free agency just because of the cream of the crop is off the board. There's still a lot of star-studded talent out there that is still yet to be signed. And some exciting times ahead, exciting shows, and more content to be produced here on the YouTube channel and on our show. But, guys, moving on for the night, just to highlight a couple little things, obviously some big pieces the ball on MLB free agency. Unfortunately for Hank and me, as as Yankee fans, some major pieces hurting us. But Hank, you did you did two videos on these guys. We're going to bring up quickly, and I take the lead here. I, I, I watch the videos, obviously. If you haven't already, folks, make sure to go no. to our YouTube channel and check them out. Hank uh, pumping out these not only 
baseball videos, hockey videos, everything really. Hank, Hank has covered everything for us in, in a in a very good fashion. But Hank, starting off with the man Carlos Correa, in which was rumored to originally be favored to land with the New York Yankees. What are your thoughts landing with the Minnesota Twins? Well, first of all, I was pretty shocked. Three years, a hundred and five million. I that was the one team I was not expecting, but. I guess there were a few reasons why nobody wanted to give him the contract that he so desired. Maybe it had to do with the whole Astro scandal, but with all that having been said, there's two things I take away from this. Number one, this trade does not happen if it wasn't for us taking on the Josh Donaldson contract. I think that's obviously established. Yes. And number two, the last time the twins, I actually made an error in that video. I, I said that this was arguably the Twins' greatest free agent signing in their franchise history. I apparently had a major brain fart, and I forgot about Jack Morris, who won Game 7 of 91 World Series through 10 in- shutout innings. But that's side the point. Carlos Correa, you're getting an instant improvement on that team. And let's not forget, Derek Falvey, the Twins' general manager, already had a great offseason. He traded for Sonny Gray. Bulls improved their pitching staff. Now you have a proven ace and a leader behind a few young young pitchers in that rotation. And now you're getting a shortstop who once he leaves the Astros, the twins are going to realize this is a guy who's, who could very well be a good leader and a good clubhouse guy. And that's how a lot of Astros saw him. So he, I think the twins are obviously an instantly improved team. I don't know that they're good enough to overtake the Chicago white Sox for the AL central, but, I think them and the Tigers will definitely be in the mix in that division for those extra wild card spots. And Hank, with this Carlos Correa acquisition, why I was upset as a Yankee fan, mm-hmm. um, not just because I think that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa will be a, a good shortstop. I, I think that will be the case. Obviously, yes. not as as you know highly ranked as a Carlos Correa. But why I'm upset about it is because, like you alluded to with this contract is that not only is it a really, really team-friendly contract and player-friendly contract, it has opt-outs after the first and second year. So if he if he wants to retest free agency, all you're essentially committing if you're the Minnesota Twins, because I would say this, if Carlos Correa has any season even close to what he's done in his M- in his MLB career, he's going to opt out after, after his first year and try to re-up again in free agency and retest the market. Because he's not making the type of money that I think a lot of people would have expected him to make. Or at least he's not. He didn't get the long-term 10-year contract that everybody thought he was going to get. He got a three-year right. deal with opt-outs after basically every single year. Yes. He's going to retest the market if he has a stellar season, which I think everybody would agree, is that based on his history, he would do the same. Yes. I was upset with the Yankees because – how do you not know in your research, in your intel, in your findings that why couldn't they do a deal like that with Carlos Correa? Give him a deal like that just for the one year. Just a team-friendly contract. And, Hank, I don't think it had anything to do with the Astros scandal. From what I read, it had to do with the fact that, you know, he's maybe. had he's – had, he's had, Yeah, well, he's, he's had some back issues before, and that could be a question. Right. Why right. they gave him opt-outs and opt-ins potentially, which would be an incentive to him knowing that he has a little bit of injury history, that if he did get hurt in his first year, he'd be able to opt in, obviously, to a $35 million contract, in which he may not even be healthy. But given the ability to retest the market, if he banks on himself and plays a decent amount of these 162 games in the season, 
That's why I was upset by the Yankees not acquiring a Correa. It's not like you lost out on a team that gave him $350 million in a 10-year contract. You lost out to a team that gave him a team-friendly $100 million deal, three years, and an opt-out after each year, and you lost him to the Twins, who seemingly were looking to piece off everybody, right? Just did a trade with the Yankees, trading, again, while they didn't have high hopes, giving up two of maybe their best players on that roster. For a Gary Sanchez who, again, I love Gary, not a lot of people in the MLB do, and mm-hmm. a Gio Urshela who will be banking in on a big contract, I think, after this year as well. So, and again, they, they got Sonny Gray, but Hank, you and I both know, Sonny Gray, unfortunately, there's one place in his MLB career that he didn't have success with, and that's the Yankees. Everywhere else he's had great success with. But they weren't a team that's going to be looking to play for the playoffs. Now they are. And it's yeah. because they just got a steal of a deal. And that's why I'm upset with the Yankees for not even being in on something like that. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I'm not upset that the Yankees didn't get him. I agree with you. I think the fact that they weren't even in on him, like it doesn't look, was I a hundred percent like on the Carlos Correa train? No, like I wasn't, I, I would have been like a little concerned about the clubhouse chemistry. But then again, as I've said in the Josh Donaldson video, the same thing has happened with a lot of Yankees that have come from like other competition years past. So that probably could have worked itself out. That being said, the other reason I wasn't 100% in on Correa was I was worried that they would probably have to give him that 10-year, $300 million contract. But with that having been said, considering all that you mentioned, Kyle, I don't I don't even disagree with you at all. Not that I'm against getting Isaiah Conner-Falefa. I think he'll be a solid shortstop, and he's much better than what we had in years past. I, I don't know. I think that was another decision where Cashman potentially could have been dropping the ball, no pun intended, right there. But as far as the Twins go, yes, you're uh, giving out multiple one-year contracts, essentially, with with the three-year deal. But considering where they've been over the past decade, they've ha- they have the longest playoff losing streak. And it has been a long time since they've really had success, 1991, as I sort of mentioned before. That's a, that's a risk you, you take if you're the Minnesota Twins, no, without a doubt. So... Good for them, and hats off to Derek Falvey again for doing a great job at improving that roster with Carlos Correa essentially being the icing on the cake. No doubt about it. And and moving on to another shortstop that is even more painful of a loss for, for my New York Yankees team, unfortunately, is Trevor Story. And Trevor Story, in this offseason, another free agent which was rumored to be acquired by the Yankees, obviously, as they do have a tremendous payroll. But what's upsetting about this as well is just like the Carlos Correa deal is once they took on the contract of Donaldson and obviously brought in kind of Falefa, you knew it eliminated them from contention. And why I say this hurts even more than the Carlos Correa one is because he got acquired by the Boston Red Sox, which are in the division of the New York Yankees. And not only does that hurt, but again, Hank, another guy that was projected to get a 300 plus million dollar deal for 10, 12, 13 years. Only a six year, $140 million deal, which rounds out to around 23 a year. Not too bad. That's not bad. Which is what the, which is the exact number that the Yankees are now paying Josh Donaldson for the next two years and acquiring his contract. So good move by the Red Sox. It makes their outfield of a Devers and a Bogarts and now a story and, 
even better than it already was and makes them even more competitive in the division than they already were. And the Yankees lose out on a fantastic shortstop. There was four tremendous shortstops entering this free agency just a year and a half ago between a Lindor, a Seager, a Story, and a Correa. And they fall short of every single one. And two of them didn't even get the money or years that a lot had projected, which is what's even more upsetting. So when I think of what the Red Sox got in Trevor's story, I think I sort of addressed this in my video that a lot of former Rockies that are superstars, whenever they leave, people say, oh, he's not going to do well when he leaves Coors Field. And then they're going to point out his home and road splits. But I here's why I hate when people do that. Like, talent is talent. Let's put it that way for yep. starters. And mm-hmm. when you look at Trevor Story's swing – that is tailor-made for Fenway. Like, that is a perfect match. And right then and there, you could even make the argument that the Red Sox have one of the better infields, not so much in the division, but maybe in the American League. I think Toronto, you could maybe give the argument for them with the addition of Matt Chapman. But you look at the Red Sox, you beefed up pretty much the middle side of your infield because now you have story Play, he's definitely going to be playing second because I don't think Xander Bogarts wants to give up his shortstop position, and I can see why. Nope. And you have Devers on the left side at third. And not to mention the other guys you have in that lineup, J.D. Martinez, still got Kike Hernandez, who you can pretty much put anywhere in that lineup. This is a, this is another lineup that, as a Yankee fan, you are absolutely going to be dreading facing. And it, it's it's not going to be a fun season. Have Well, it's going to be bru- it's going to be a bloodbath chasing Toronto and Boston and I can't count out Tampa Bay. I I have a bad feeling they're going to finish ahead of the Yankees too. But with that being said, enough of my Yankee rants. I even even with look at the years of the contract. 6 years. Yes, I know he's going to be in his mid 30s at the end of the deal, but another thing to think about with this contract, it gives him security too because Bogarts has an opt out at the end of his at the end of the season. If he decides to use that, then no no big deal. You, you have enough. You already have a guy who played shortstop the year before, and that's Trevor Story. So mm-hmm. again, you um, they in, they beefed up their infield. Pitching wise, I think they're a little suspect, which ultimately is the big reason why I'm not a hundred percent sure. Actually, not a hundred percent. I'm definitely not sure I could put them ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays, but. With that being said, Heimblum has done a good job for the Red Sox this offseason. So, and they've definitely been a little bit better than the year before, even if they did lose a pitcher or two, especially Eduardo Rodriguez. And then you're going to be without Chris Sale for opening day. But that's that's a team that's made it work. And Alex Cora is a great management. I trust – there's no doubt in my mind they'll be competitive this year. Like I said, prior to us going live, I think they are the um... – I think where the Yankees stand right now, they are the fourth best team in that division, which is not a recipe for success in the playoffs because they are the they, they get killed by the Rays every year. Boston is now tremendously better. And the Blue Jays have just signed on everybody to make them even better than they already were. So not very good right now if you are a New York baseball fan or maybe just a Yankee fan. James, how you doing over there in Mets territory? Are you are you confident in this team? I know that one of our co-hosts that couldn't be here tonight, Tom Scavetta, he if he was only as pessimistic as he was about the New York Giants as he is about the New York Mets, 
when the Mets are actually giving you signs of high hope, the pessimism comes out. The optimism is not there. And granted, there's been a lot of pain there with Mets fans, but I don't know how you feel. I, I think that this is a 95-win team plus. I think they win the division, and I think they're very competitive. I can only hope. Um, let's see how they perform on the field. Um, I am definitely looking forward to having a true number one, number two um, pitching duel. I was actually out with a few of my buddies last night. Yeah. And on the TV screen um, at the bar we were at, they were redoing the 2016 Mets, like the, the yearbook, mm-hmm. the classics and like classic, I guess now. Um, and man, it just got me hyped for this season and whatnot. So I think we'll be good. I'm not putting a number on it just yet, even though the season does start rather in a month, Tank, right? Season starts in a couple a month. weeks. April 7th. April, April 7th. 7th. Yep. So speaking of that, hitting for the cycles coming back this season, right? Yes, sir. I'm I'm very excited for that to be back. Now, obviously, the week of opening day, that will be that will be moved to the Friday because we'll, we'll make the announcement for it, but as long as hitting for the cycles coming back, we all gotta tune into that, especially uh, us Mets and Yankee fans, because I think uh I think both boroughs in New York will be battling it out this season. Um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited to be bringing back that show. Got a lot of good guests that I have on my list to interview, and definitely some returners. Kyle, I'll definitely make sure to bring you on for an episode or two this year. We had a lot of fun in your in the past season talking a fi- talking a few times about the Yankees, and you'll definitely see me talking with Alec Walt about the AL East. He and I, he is pretty much my resident expert Red Sox fan when it comes to that show, and. <laughs> Definitely somebody who's got some good points and obviously plenty of others you'll see just like him. It's this, this show and baseball season really excited for hopefully the Yankees can prove me wrong. But as far as the Mets go, I think, I don't know if I'll give them 95 wins. I think if all goes right, they could win the division, but at the same time, James, no offense. I'm not going to bank on them to stay healthy for a whole 162 games. I see. Uh I that us Met fans don't need to say it. Us Met fans just know that's going to. You Yankee fans need to get that in your brain again because you guys over in the Bronx never get hurt, or if you do, can have you know. We are, James, we are wild card warriors. That's what the Yankees have been the last couple of years. Yeah, that's well, we you know that's good. You can get some of the taste of uh, us Met fans what we go through sometimes. But Kyle, let's move on to a different sport. We will move on to a different right, sport. Good. Thank you, James. But moving on. And Hank, I'm going to throw to you here because you were actually at the game last night. And obviously they've had a very successful season. Um, and, and one game does not determine an outlook of an entire season, but your New York Rangers. And what a game last night. They they were up 2-0 in the first period. And I kind of turned it off because I'm like, all right, it's the Devils. And I didn't even know up until maybe an hour ago how badly the outcome actually was of that game. Complete turnaround. Five goals given up in the second period. And I thought that was a Gordiev game. That was an Igor Shesterkin game. You were there. Tell us about it. You know, it's funny because before the game, there were there was talk from among Ranger fans saying, oh, Stark, Stark Yorgiev, because they have a game against the Penguins coming up on Friday night. That's going to be a big, big four-point game in the division because it could decide who gets home ice advantage should they meet in the first round. But Ooh. that was a game, yeah, it going in, it, it was exciting. I got off the... I slept from uh, Westchester. I took the train to Grand Central, walked to Penn Station, took transit. It's only two stops. It's not too bad. And then 
granted it's Newark, but you're only like a block away from the train station to the arena itself. And there was a lot of blue when I got there. And I'm like, I was joking. Obviously I was exaggerating when I said MSG South, but like when you really look at Newark, there's like, there's always a huge turnout turnout of Ranger fans considering North Jersey is pretty much not too far from New York city itself. And then you, you had the two goals. It was a really exciting atmosphere. And then all of a sudden the goal that turned around the game, like, it looked like Igor had froze the puck, but then the ref didn't really blow the whistle when he had it. And then the devils kept whacking. They scored the goal. This by the way, hurt because it was literally the same goal that didn't count against the Minnesota wild that would have tied it on Henrik Lundqvist night. But I digress. There were, there were, there was like a whole defensive breakdown. There were other terrible referee calls, but with, with that having been said, when you get blown out seven, four to the new Jersey devils, as much as I want to, you know, talk shit about what the refs called all day long. Can't do that. Can't play. Can't have that sort of effort. You could make the argument that that Gallant should have called the timeout to have his guys relax after the second or third goal. But I think this game was a case of them either getting too cocky after being up to nothing and thinking, oh, it's the Devils. They're not a threat. Or maybe it was them looking ahead in the schedule, because as I said, Friday night is going to be a big game at Madison Square Garden and a four point game at that against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it'll be it's it's really interesting to see. And there's going to be a lot of four point games coming up in the schedule. So this one definitely could have been used, especially considering the quality of the opponent. But you know what? There's still only two points behind the Pittsburgh Penguins for second place in the division. And Hey, look, they still have an outside shot at even catching Carolina, although I, I personally think that's a long shot. But still, with, with the amount of games left, if Carolina goes on a slump by some miracle, who knows? But let's talk about the trade deadline, because that, to me, was the big news that the Rangers made. So, obviously, I think I talked a little bit about the acquisition of Frank Vetrano. He was a guy, he's a guy that's now a second-line right-winger and – He's probably going to be there until Kako returns. And you're going to see a pattern when I talk about a lot of these other guys that the Rangers got at the trade deadline. They got Tyler Mott from the Vancouver Canucks for a six-round pick, which, you know, essentially a steal. You're getting another bottom six center, put him at wing if you need to. Justin Braun from the Philadelphia Flyers, you're getting him for defensive purposes. He's probably He's basically going to be in and out of the lineup. He'll probably be giving certain guys a breather if need be. And then the big one was Andrew Kopp from the Winnipeg Jets. Now, obviously, they got rid of a lot of late-round picks, and they did get rid of Morgan Barron, who I know there are some Ranger fans who probably felt that he didn't really get a fair shake. But when you consider the names on this roster, I don't think he was ever really going to get enough playing time. I, no. I can live with losing Morgan Barron, all things considered. I mean, and, you know, when you look at it, look at the big picture with the Rangers, they didn't, like – essentially they didn't necessarily go all in they pretty much got depth pieces and you know what that's not a bad thing they were you already have a really good top six as it is you have the you have Panarin you have Fox you have Kreider to name and you have Mika Zibanejad to name a few so your your top scorers are who they are it's essentially getting more depth because then you go into the big picture some of these guys are going to be free agents after the season. 
you ha- getting Andrew Cop is huge because if he produces in the second in within the next 18 games, then you're going to have the problem. Do you re-sign him or Ryan Strom? But those are going to be critical decisions to make come the summertime for Chris Drury, who, in my honest opinion, he's really done a good job at improving the Rangers over the in his first year as their general manager. And when you look at the Rangers as a whole, are they a better team now than they were, like, say, 48 hours ago? Yeah, I still think that. Even with the loss of the New Jersey Devils, that's not that's not changing my opinion whatsoever. And you know what? If I'm going to be completely honest, I would rather them have a meltdown like that in a regular season, random regular season game against, say, the Devils or whoever right now in, like, late March as opposed to, say, playoff time. So, again, I'm not too worried. It's a better team. Do I think it's enough to put them – over the top for a Stanley cup. No, not quite yet, but you know what? I don't even, as Brian Attard alluded to on his episode of blue truth, go check that show out. By the way, if you have the chance, Brian Attard is one of the bigger Ranger fans that I know. And he provides a lot of good information with regards to salary cap too. I think he's right when he states that the Rangers, you know, they might not even be in their window yet. You still have a lot of guys in the minor leagues too. And, if this this season is essentially going to be like a learning experience, regardless of how far they go in the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the course of the second half. And, you know, as I mentioned, the Rangers have a gauntlet coming up because not only do you have a uh, Pittsburgh, you should beat Buffalo on Sunday, but then I believe after that, you've got another game against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh the, on the Tuesday night. And after Detroit, you pretty much have Islanders, Flyers, Devils, Pittsburgh, random game against Ottawa, Carolina, and Philadelphia. That's a lot of four-point games right there. Yeah. So a very yeah. critical stretch of crunch time for the New York Rangers and really excited to see what happens. Now, Hank, the, cross. Not the quick thing I want to point out is, or make a comment on, is the Rangers have been relying very heavily on their goaltending. And yes. we've seen that. Kyle, we've seen that with the Islanders. We see that almost with any team out there. Now, could last night be a lead to that the goal attending has carried this team so far that they they actually now need the defensive side of the ice to step up? Yes, you. that's why before we went live, I was like, Hank, who was in goal last night? Because I figured if it was your, bet, your, your number two, it, the score would somewhat make sense. But when it's your number one and it's been lights out, do you think it's time for that defense, the head coach or whoever needs to go to that defense and be like, listen, or the goalie, you got to step up. I can't keep carrying this team because, yeah, your goalie can take you as far as it can. But if your defense isn't stepping up against like you, who you have on Friday, you might see another game what you saw last night, unfortunately. Oh, no, I don't. No, that's I don't disagree with you. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up too. The Rangers relying on their goalie. That's something that I lived with for pretty much pretty much ever since I started <laughs> watching this team in like the mid 2000s cuz you know, they lived and died by Henrik Lundqvist and you know, the 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 2012 team in particular was one that was like the black and blue shirts, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be low scoring games where to the point where if Lundqvist let up let up a goal early, you, you weren't really that confident because of like who they had, but 
and I think the same was probably true during certain parts of the 2014, although that team had like more depth than the 2012 team personally, but I digress. This team, yeah, you're right. I think the defensive side definitely needs to step it up. And I think Drury knew that like they weren't really, that they were still a little bit short on depth because even though you have the Adam Foxes, you have the Ryan Lindgrens on your defense, you also have a Patrick Nemeth who, while he's shown some game, some good games here and there, that contract is definitely going to hold them up. And he's not one of your more reliable defensemen. And I think that's why he got a Justin Braun. So that way he could like give a guy, those guys a rest here and there. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Igor Shosturkin. Yeah, you could, you could make that argument too. He's had to start a lot of the games and why wouldn't he? He's, he's pretty much the backbone of the team. I don't want to say, I, I, you could argue that he's been the backbone. He's carried them to a lot of wins. He's definitely in the conversation for Hart Trophy and rightfully so. But, you know, I think if they're going to go further, a lot of guys need to step it up. And I think the real thing that needs to step it up, the five on five play, because everyone forgets the Rangers, the, the Rangers have been scoring most of their goals on the power play. And a- another point that Brian made that I'm kind of going to piggyback on, that is absolutely true in the playoffs. You're not going to get a lot of these calls. You, you're just not like, some of the, the things that have happened, the refs like kind of let the players play for the most part during the playoffs. However, with that being said, you could also make the argument that if you have an Igor Shosturkin, that could steal a game or two, maybe even a round. So, again, who knows there? And I definitely agree with what you said, James. A couple comments here in the comment section, and James will we'll talk about the Islanders a little bit briefly. And then mm-hmm. we got some breaking news, which we heard about in the beginning of the show, but now it has become officially uh, – designated as truth in New York City. Big news for all sports. But first, Brian McArdle, Rangers beat Lightning and Canes back-to-back. Also, Rangers lose you know, lose the Devils allowing seven goals. Brian with the big man, LOL. To, to uh, alter a quote from a certain baseball announcer I know and love, well, Brian, you can't predict hockey. It is very true. That's true. Everybody has their off nights. That's why you got 82 mm-hmm. chances during an NHL season. You could have your bad nights, and especially the team that's been consistently good throughout the entirety of the season. You could afford to have one bad night. But moving on. Yeah. The New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And James, they have been pretty good. Had a very, they've had a pretty good march, to be yeah. to, to be quite blunt. They've, uh, in their last four games, they're three and one. And, and in these games alone in the month of March, the losses in which they have, they're no more by one goal of a margin, which is impressive. Yeah. They've been scoring better. But again, the biggest – slide with this team and unfortunately it's the case is that I think that they've done unfortunately dug themselves too deep a hole mm-hmm. to climb out of and in news because Hank had also brought up the trade deadline with the Rangers not that the Islanders made any trades whatsoever but they did extend Cal Clutterbuck uh, yeah. Cal Clutterbuck to a two-year extension and also extended Zach Parisi as well yeah. to an extension so some things happening in the Islanders organization as well again looking forward probably towards next season more so than the remainder of this season Lou running it back with this team or keeping this team a whole, there was questions whether or not Lou Lamoureux, the GM of the New York Islanders, would potentially trade off a couple players or, or keep this team around, even though mathematically they haven't been eliminated yet to get themselves in even the second wild card position. I think they're around 18 or 19 points out of that. So mathematically, that'd be very difficult to achieve unless teams like the Capitals just completely fall off, which I, I, I don't think will be. I don't think so. But any other any other comments with the Islanders, James? Before we, 
before we break this news, which is all over Twitter, all over Instagram? Uh, no, the Islanders have been looking somewhat good. Uh, maybe try to get to a game before the season ends. Who knows? Maybe. But, I've been thinking but, about it. But let's break this news, Kyle. I think this news is uh, worthy of breaking. I've been itching. I've been itching about this news. So it is official, according to Shams Charnia. New York City Mayor Eric Adams will make the official announcement on Thursday, this Thursday, at City Field, home of the New York Mets, which will lift the vaccine mandate, which will allow New York athletes, players that play for New York teams, Kyrie Irving specifically at the headlines of this, to play in New York home arenas, to play in home games. So obviously major, major news in the sport of basketball is Kyrie Irving has been uh, not that he's the only unvaccinated player in the NBA, but the one of the more talented and obviously notable players that has been affected his uh, has definitely affected his team and their progression with him not being able to play at home. Now being able to play in home games just in time for the playoffs to occur within the next month or so in the NBA, he is now able to be what is being stated potentially being able to be playing at home games, which is huge for the Brooklyn Nets, even though they sit at an eight seed right now. The Brooklyn Nets are no eight seed if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the floor together. They are a dominant team in which nobody would want to play in the NBA playoffs. And then on baseball as well, with the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, there have been some players on both teams, uh, none that I could think of as far as name, Judge Stanton Degrom. Well, no, we we don't know we don't know for sure uh, about some oh, of those cases, but yeah, but some players that may be on these rosters that are unvaccinated, that no longer have to worry about potentially not being able to allowed to play at home, because according to the statement by Shams Charnia, Eric Adams will be making a statement at City Field on Thursday, in which the eventual change of the vaccine mandate will be lifted. So huge news just in time for NBA playoffs, just in time for the MLB season, in which a major uh, burden is now lifted off of these New York sports teams. Guys, your thoughts? I, I think a year ago, probably when when both these sports started up, well, not a year ago, but when basketball started up back in October, some didn't even believe that Kyrie Irving would play at all, let alone being able to play all games now in just a couple of days. And, and with New York baseball players as well, not that it's really been a forefront thought as we've only had baseball back for the last couple of weeks since the lockout has ended but now having that burden lifted as well knowing that these new york athletes can play for both the yankees and both the mets in home games obviously as the mlb 81 home games to play so obviously much more on the line not potentially being able to have those games but what will still be a question and in which we'll see what takes place because canada has definitely been uh much, I don't want to say stricter, but stuck to their guns and hasn't been as lenient, is that we, especially as Yankee fans, we have to worry about potentially these players not being able to play in Canada. But as Met fans, not more so having to worry about it as much because of the fact that they're not in the same division as you guys, so you don't have to play them as much as the Yankees do, per se. But some good news, I would say, guys, coming out of the sports world in you know the ability to have Major New York star athletes, major New York teams being able to have their athletes, being able to have their players back in the New York arenas. This will only help um, at the moment, uh, Brooklyn, to have no KD and Kyrie on the same floor again. So, 100%. as of right now, that, that Brooklyn, now you got to watch out for. 
hundred percent. That that that's my opinion because that's the only sport that is impacting at the moment, as I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Hank, any 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 thoughts on this? Any thoughts on this new uh, announcement that the what seemed like potentially was never going to happen is now happening, and now even has a designated day to when it's happening too. I figured it was pretty much inevitable, you know. Like I think after a certain amount of time, people would have want would have been wondering which of the Yankees were gonna like which of the Yankees or which of the Mets were gonna like get their vaccinations and you know who was gonna play or whatnot. And I think we I think we all know the mayor knew that like they probably would have been losing a lot of fans in attendance and we already know the state of baseball as a whole. So I think I think it was pretty much inevitable. It was just a matter of when the announcement was going to be made. But regardless, I'm re- regardless. I'm glad we're going to get to see everybody play. That's all. That's all I'm going to say at that. Absolutely. And on that note, a good note in New York sports is like James Lutu, like Hank Lutu, some high hopes in the Brooklyn Nets organization. Obviously, competing in the playoffs and for an NBA championship. But obviously, with baseball looming as well, and the start of that happening on April seventh. New York teams not having to worry about some of their potential stars on those teams not being able to play come home openers and home games as well. But guys, on that note, any final words before we close out tonight's show? Uh, nope. No, other than we do apologize for starting late. Um, the clicking method worked for us to go live. If you did see the 30 to 15 seconds of all of us on the screen and all of us scrambling to go live, well, you saw some behind the backstage stuff, but no, I, I enjoyed tonight with you too. It was a good show. It was definitely a good show. But guys, on that note, before I let you go, thank you all for listening. But make sure to give us a follow on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter, and make sure to go listen to us on anchor.fm slash review and preview. And of course, our YouTube content is growing each and every day. We want to get those subscribers up. So make sure to check out our YouTube channel at review and preview sports. Go like, go subscribe, because we got content going up daily. Thank you all for listening, and have a great rest of your evening, everybody.